Welcome to Jazz South Spotlight, a podcast series that's shining a light on jazz talent from the south of England. I'm Kevin Legend, and in this episode, I'll be speaking to composer, instrumentalist, and writer John K. Miles, who's been specially commissioned by Jazz South to create new music as part of their Radar Commission scheme. Stick with us as we explore John's background, influences, and inspirations, and we'll also get to hear excerpts from this enchanting new work, River and Ash Play a Mighty Groove. The rhythm of life is a musical thing. So, John, pleasure to be talking to you. Pleasure to be talking to you, Kevin. Just to put things into context, give a little bit of background for this piece, the key thing is that it is an educational piece of work. It's actually for school kids, it's incredibly engaging, very interesting to listen to whether you're a child or an adult, but it is an educational piece of work. You know, I find education entertaining, obviously. Don't we all? I'm an eternal student. (laughs) I'm an eternal student. But it's, uh, it has that, hopefully it has that accessible element to it where you can just enjoy it as entertainment as well. It's storytelling really, that's the idea that, that you get drawn into the story through the music and through the narrative and access it in that way. But that said, it was always designed as a multi-platform project that uh, could work as an audio or as a book or as an animation or as a theatre piece but with attendant educational projects and live shows to go with it. And, you know, I am actually planning a a live show with the guys on the recording for later next year, maybe 2022, if I can get it off the ground. But there has been quite a bit of interest, actually. So hopefully that will happen. So how do you go about actually making, adapting or drawing inspiration from the Orpheus myth, which is one of the great stories in in Greek mythology for eight to 12 year olds? Yeah, well, I've always loved this story of Orpheus, but then I realised, so I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that because, you know, I've just always loved the imagery of the ferryman and uh, Hades and escaping from Hades. But I realised as soon as I started trying to write it that it's actually quite a gruesome tale, as a lot of these myths are. Yeah, the underworld is a dangerous place. (laughs) It certainly is. After the drop, Ash came to a stop by the shore of the strange ghostly lake. Lit by the fountain at the root of the mountain, there the ferryman waits. I kind of made it more about friendship and about the power of music as opposed to, uh, I think in the original, one of the protagonists dies, so that doesn't happen. It's just a question of two kids who love playing music and through the power of the music they wake up the king of the underworld who sucks one of them down and Again, through the power of the music, they escape. But all those characters are in there. Although I have added some goblins as well, which I don't think are in the original myth. So the original myth obviously has Orpheus, the poet and musician, having to rescue Eurydice, who's been taken down into Hades in in the underworld, etc. But the key thing that I certainly retain from the story, which I think is incredibly powerful, is the fact that Orpheus is a musician as well as a poet depending whatever version you you actually refer to, that he has incredible expressive and creative powers. And this is a celebration of creativity and, and the power of music, first and foremost. Yeah, that's definitely it. And River plays the saxophone as opposed to a lyre. And Ash, River's friend, plays the bass. But 
You're absolutely right. It's about music. It's about the magic of music, really. And it's about how that can affect your friendships. I think one of the sort of attendant or the subliminal motivations behind the piece is to try and get kids engaged in music. That will happen hopefully through the show that we do, but also through the piece so that, you know, if people haven't heard any jazz or any jazz grooves before, then... We all have those moments where we have gateways into the music and um, I'm hoping that this might be one of them because I think kids of that age really do have, you know, in my experience, have really open ears and probably more open ears than adults do. So they respond to things like energy, emotion, and they're not so kind of constrained by the, the language that's being used in a way. So it's, it's really interesting in that way. Um, and I'm just trying to, you know, make a small contribution to just providing a slightly different reference point in an accessible way. So just a few days ago, John, some very lively eight and nine-year-olds at the Cathedral Primary School in Bristol actually listened to the composition as part of their music lesson, and you were able to join them on Zoom, weren't you? It was magical, actually, and I was really, it was really heartwarming to hear that a lot of them wanted to dance to the music, which was great. Children, here we have the composer of Reverend Ash playing Mighty Group, John K. Miles. Hello! Hi, guys. When we were listening to it, John, I have to tell you that I thought the first time we might all sit still and listen, but that was not the case because there has been a lot of dancing that's gone on when we have listened to this. I'm glad to hear it. My favourite bit was probably when the stick to the path bit because it, it's been stuck in my head ever since. That's a good sign. Stick to the path of the ancient tale and you'll never go astray or lose your way. Never step to the left. Never step to the right, to the left, to the right, onto the light and straight until morning. Has anybody ever told you that sort of thing? No, but if they did, I'd probably be like River and Ash and go off onto a different route. Yeah. <laughs> Some of it was like soothing. My favourite part was when River was playing the saxophone. Yeah, I like that bit too. What did you think about the goblin dance? I think, like, I just have this picture in my head that a goblin is just doing, like, a disco party. That's exactly what they were doing. <laughs> wow, that's a scary picture. <laughs> um, that's my drawing of King of the Underworld. Which part of the story is that picture from, do you think? Probably when they're trying to escape. And the friends played a groove so deep and mighty that it carried them back up the mountain. Ah, uh, yeah, he does look a bit cross. <laughs> the song made me dance. My favourite song was Stick to the Path. And I thought that your story and song was amazing. Oh, thank you. That's really kind of you to say that. And thank you for listening to it. You've just heard the very bright and uplifting reactions of Year 4 from Cathedral Primary School in Bristol, clearly enjoying and engaging with River and Ash play A Mighty Groove. John, what was it like actually seeing the children's reaction to the piece? I was really thrilled that they were engaging with the piece viscerally. And it was really great to hear as well from the teacher that it might work really well as an attendant education aid for teaching Greek myths and as a way of engaging children uh, in that subject. So is the whole point here that you're not actually playing down to them or talking down to them? You're, you're actually looking at them as fully formed human beings, which of course they are, you know, whether they're eight or nine or ten years old. And you're, I suppose, benefiting from the fact that 
that they will listen without prejudice to a large extent. Absolutely. I, I think particularly with music, which you can access in a very enigmatic way. So in practical terms, this piece has a very eclectic character. I mean, that's, that's I think, the best way to describe it. If you think about the huge amount of changes in terms of style that you have from the jazz to the Brazilian afoche rhythms, elements of ska, bits of funk. I mean, it's changing constantly. You've got lots of different approaches to the beat, lots of different little melodies in there. There's a real sense of a quote-unquote journey, stylistically and musically. Is that driven partly by just how you compose and also maybe this desire to engage with the listeners and, and really keep them hooked on the story? Yeah, I'm definitely very into connectivity, but I suppose it's a reflection. The whole piece is really a reflection of my own life, which has been quite eclectic in its influence. Starting off, I mean, I didn't really come from a musical family, although my dad did have some jazz records, so I, I kind of accessed the music a bit that way. What kind of jazz records did your dad have? He listened out for those records that immediately grab you, and I think that is something that has stuck with me and probably ha sticks true to those artists in the 50s, 60s maybe 30s as well where it was about you know tapping your foot listening to the melodies listening to the energy listening to the just the craft that was involved coming back to river and ash play a mighty groove i mean that eclecticism that we've been talking about that really is it's such a, a major part of the piece and does that also resonate with your career personally as well? Because I know that you've, you've covered a huge amount of ground in the time that you've been making music. My approach to music resonates with how I learned to play music. My first experience of music was that my mum saw a piano in a skip and she liked the candle holders on it. So she brought it to the house as a piece of furniture. And I remember just fiddling about on the piano and that feeling of making things up on the piano. I mean, I had lessons later, but it was just that feeling of making things up. And then later, I think this is the important thing, is that I was very lucky to access the tail end of a, an a music education system in London, which I think was replicated throughout the country, where if you got to quite a basic level, you got free lessons, and there was a very visible pathway through to higher education, right from you know age 11. And so I got a flute from the school, and uh, I was able to access these ensembles. Although it was a classical model, there was so much informal music making that went on in that, that time, you know, in the London School Symphony Orchestra. I had Jason Rebello was behind me playing the bassoon and, uh, and Joe Bashoran, a really old friend of mine. Those are good people to have behind you in, uh, in that context, for sure. They are. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Joe Bashoran, a really close friend of mine who's now Leonardo's in Canada. He was on some early Courtney Pine records. He played double bass in the orchestra and lots of others. I think what's taken its place, you know, there's some great organisations which have taken the place of that joined up system doing great projects and there is that opportunity to do more project-based work so this this hopefully will be a contribution to that what happens when the goblin music comes on can you just show can you just show john now it's time to groove <laughs> Goblins do. They've been like a pack of dancing goblins every time it comes on. <laughs> Lois, in fact, can we have a little round of people who can maybe come and tell John about the goblins? That's great to hear. I think it was really funky. 
It, it is, it's a really funky song. A little secret, it's actually my favorite, one of my favorite bits of the whole piece, to be honest. Move to the rhythm of the bass guitar, slide to the left and wiggle your hips, yes, hands in the air and nod your head, now you're dancing like a goblin. Move to the rhythm of the bass guitar, slide to the left and wiggle your hips, yes, hands in the air and nod your head, now you're dancing like a goblin. The band were actually doing that goblin dance in the studio. I couldn't stop them. They were sliding to the left, they were nodding their head, they were doing all the things in the song. <laughs> all the Varkars were swaying their hands like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can imagine that although the goblins are a bit, you know, I know they work for the king of the underworld and they're a bit naughty and everything, but they're actually quite funny at the same time, that's how I saw them. <laughs> I really enjoyed the really funky bit. The really funky bits. Yeah, me too. What was the most funky bit, did you think, in the whole piece? When they were wiggling their hips, I think. Yeah, well, that's that's what it's all about, isn't it? <laughs> that's great. I really like the bit where it explained that you should slide to the left and slide to the right. That's very good. And do you reckon you could do a slide to the left and a slide to the right now? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> can, you, can you show, John, have a final, can you have a final goblin dance? <laughs> the, the little goblins of Motown have been very grateful to hear your piece. We have absolutely loved listening to it. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much. In a moment, I'm going to ask you all to say a good goodbye to Bye. Bye. Nice to see you and thank you for listening to the piece. Well, you've heard them before, and there they are again. The kids from Year 4 of Cathedral Primary School in Bristol enjoying River and Ash play a mighty groove. So, John, you've also done work in film and sort of other yeah. media as well. Can we talk a bit about that and how that maybe feeds into, into this particular project, which is obviously full of imagery? This is where the eternal student theme comes in. I ended up going to film school as a composer, and uh, ended up really getting into composition there. I mean, I'd already recorded a couple of uh, albums under my own name, but this was more sort of extended composition and film composition and thinking about aesthetics in a different way and thinking about classical music, which I'd been exposed to a lot as a kid. And so that led on to working in film. And I've continued that through more on the art house side. You know, I think it was this education thing kept coming back into my head and I returned to this idea of community art, did a master's in composition, and then um, I just got very involved in collaborative composition in community contexts. You know, when you get in a room full of people who've all got creative ideas, some of which are, you know, that you'd never think of, it's a very stimulating way to make music. Well, talking of people coming together in one room or ideas sort of being bounced off each other there's going to be a multimedia version of the piece in collaboration with um, Little Angel Theatre later in the year can you tell me a little bit about that because that's that's quite an exciting prospect isn't it yeah I mean it was always I always designed the project or conceived it as a multimedia thing as a book and as a an audio book and as a radio thing um obviously it was you know it was meant to be a piece of audio that worked in its own right but I'd always thought of theatre and animation too and so I sent it to the Little Angel Theatre and they were interested. So those characters of River and Ash and the King of the Underworld will literally come to life. So I'm, I'm beyond excited about that. 
It's still early days for the Little Angel Theatre production, but designer Ellie already has some ideas. The first thing that really appealed to me about this project was the world that's invoked through the music and the energy and the joy that the piece had. I think it's this lovely story about the magic of friendship and the power of music. The first time I listened to it, I immediately had this image of all these dancing goblins across the screen, bewitched by the beat, unable to do anything but dance along. And that just really made me smile. And I was like, yes, I, I want to do this project. I was also drawn to it because of these dark, mysterious underworld next to these funny little creatures all dancing and about how music can bring colour and hope and joy into these really stark environments and how we could visualise that in theatre, which would be really interesting. I think at the moment I'm seeing these two very different worlds. So you've got the world of the underworld and it's all very stark and dark and mysterious and I'm thinking that that will be all shadow puppetry and it will be the music that brings the colour into that world and we can start breaking through these dark austere places with the joy and colour of music and then like the upper world as it were will be much more 3D and textural and a celebration of nature in our first conversations with John he was really inspired by going on holiday to Yorkshire and the Yorkshire Moors and the countryside around there so I want it to be this real celebration of that as well and to find all of those textures and joys in this natural world but it's very early stages so we'll just have to wait and see what it actually ends up being and hopefully you'll be able to see that on Sunday the 25th of July on the Little Angel YouTube channel. That's Ellie, production designer at Little Angel Theatre in London, who will be delivering a full multimedia version of River and Ash this summer. Um, it's a very special place for me, the Islington Puppet Theatre, because I grew up in Islington. I remember going there as a kid and also my mum, who did an amazing thing. She taught at one school all her life and she ended up being the head teacher. And uh, she used to take her children there as well. So I think she was quite thrilled that they were going to do a production. It has that kind of local legend status, the Little Angel Puppet Theatre. It's been there forever. One last question, John. The title, River and Ash Play the Mighty Groove. How long did it take you to come up with that, with those names and that, that particular scenario as well? First came the names and then later I didn't know they were going to be playing a mighty groove or indeed why that was important until I'd written the story. Yeah, I didn't know that was actually going to be the way that they save themselves by playing a mighty groove, but that's what they do. As the king of the underworld danced his strange dance, River and Ash sprinted down the valley, through the heather and the fern, away from the hill until the rocks and boulders became small again. As day turned to night, they got back to their cottage and saw the flickering flames of an open fire through the living room window. <laughs> so River, River and Ash play a mighty groove and get themselves out of there. They distract the king of the underworld, they can't stop moving their feet and um, they escape back up the mountain through the fire and ice, home in time for dinner. Safely back, said River, opening the front door to the delicious aroma for home cooked.
Tena. If you can do all of that with a mighty groove, then sign me up. <laughs> John, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time. You too, Kevin. Thank you very much. To hear River and Ash play a mighty groove by John K. Miles, in full, visit jazzsouth.org.uk slash spotlight. Now, as John mentioned, a new production of River and Ash play a mighty groove is currently being created by Little Angel Theatre in London. It's wildly exciting. Do keep an eye on their website for more details as they're announced. Jazz South supports the development of jazz across the south of England outside London. It is led and hosted by Turner Sim Southampton, a concert hall and live music producing organisation, with support from the University of Southampton and funding from Arts Council England. I'm Kevin Lejard, and this has been a Two Degrees West production for Jazz South. <laughs>